Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. For years, the people that were banging the drum for increased use of body cameras by police were folks that were generally critical of police. People that were critical of uh, police overreach and police abuse and things of that nature. But a funny thing has happened over the course of the last few years. All of a sudden, the tables have turned. And the people that have become much more vocal in uh, calling for extended use of police body camera footage and using that and releasing it publicly have generally been defenders of the police. I don't think there's a a better example of that than uh, what occurred in the audio that we played yesterday on this program of uh, City Council Member, New York City Council Member Yusuf Salam in his uh, interaction with police, which has proven to be quite controversial. We roll your back window, please. I'm Officer Kentucky from the 26 Precinct. I'm Just Council saying, Member Salam. Oh, um, Council Member? This district, District 9. Oh, okay. Uh, Have a good one. Yeah. You're, you're working, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Take care, sir. This uh, whole case has raised a lot of questions about uh, the about racial profiling, about whether politicians get special abuse by police. But I want to focus on the issue of police body cameras themselves. And I, I've asked Dominic Carter, uh, nationally renowned a veteran broadcast journalist who's covered a lot of criminal justice cases over the years, to stick around and uh, help break this issue down. Uh, Dominic, how do you come down on the issue of, of police body cameras? One, they're, Frank, it's so nice to be with you this morning. Likewise. They're they're great uh, for the public, but they're also great for the police. So to people that may not be familiar familiar nationally with this situation, you had, and by the way, I'm disgusted, Frank, looking up at television monitors on CNN and MSNBC. They're playing E. Jean Carroll. $83 million against Trump. The trial was not fair. It was a stacked deck from day one. And on MSNBC, she just told uh, Rachel Maddow that if Trump defames her again, she'll sue him again. So in other words, I'm going to ride this gravy train until the wheels fall off. It's going to be very interesting to see if a third jury sides with her on any future litigation. So back to body cams, right? So let's just backtrack for a second. You have the Central Park rape case, right? Jogger, she almost died. She's raped in the park, Central Park. This is a story that went international. Sure. So you had uh, a number of black and Latino males rounded up by the New York Police Department. The police were under attack, but they were being told, do something. The headline came out, uh, wilding, wilding, which almost meant it was a, like almost like a racial term mm-hmm. by some to mean that 
that uh, black and Latino teens are acting as wolf packs, right? What happened to the jogger was disgusting, despicable. She almost died. Bashed in the head with a rock and so on. They couldn't identify her. She was inches away. She was a Wall Street person, inches away from, from dying. Thank God that she lived. So the in New York Police Department arrests five individuals, ultimately, and make the case. They get convictions. They all go off to prison. Youssef Salam, who's now a council member, was one of them. And the chair of the Public Safety Committee right. in New York. So the Central Park Five is what they were called, right? And... And and so th- th- this is a case where the allegation is that, you know, black and Latino males unfairly uh, 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 treated by the police and so on, convicted, go to prison and so on, the rest of the story. They settle a lawsuit for 40-plus million dollars, the five of them, right, against the state of mm-hmm. New York. The district attorney, legendary district attorney Bob Morgenthau, law and order literally was made about him, literally the TV show. And so... Youssef Salam runs one of the Central Park Five, runs for city council in New York, and wins. In a three- or four-way race, he wins. And as you just said, he becomes, representing Harlem, New York, he becomes the chair of the Public Safety Committee. So the other day, he's pulled over by the NYPD, right? And the way the story comes out from his camp is that a black man pulled over by the police. Here we go again. And, and there were so many things that were left out of the story. So, for example, it was a Latino police officer that pulled him over. Number two, he had tinted windows, which is against the law in New York. Number three, he had Georgia license plates on the vehicle. So stop making the excuses and accept the responsibility. They had every right to pull you over. And if not for this body cam... This officer could have been in serious, serious trouble. No doubt about it. And that's one of the reasons I'm glad these uh, body cameras are there. You know, there was it was interesting, though, the ProPublica, which is a nonprofit news entity, they came out with uh, a report uh, just last week showing that the public rarely sees body camera footage from police killings. They said uh, police have spent millions on getting body worn cameras and there's been 79 deaths by police caught on camera in 2022, but footage from 46 of them has not been released. So some police departments, apparently, according to ProPublica, are not following their own body camera release policies. Shouldn't, whether it makes the cops look good or makes the cops look bad, shouldn't they always be releasing this? Well, it it depends, Frank, because the release of some of those videos will do nothing except to spark riots. Because as uh, as some PBA leaders have said to me, Sometimes when you arrest someone, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And so, for example, um, they they released the body cam video in South Carolina when that police officer shot that African-American man that was fleeing and he shot him in Mm -hmm. the back. So some of them are released. Sometimes it takes a few years in litigation to get them released. We saw the incident and... um, Well, I guess that's kind of the double standard, right, is that that I'm raising, is that if it's something where it makes the cops look good, then the body camera footage is released the next day. But if it's something that might make the cops look bad, then it can take weeks, months, even years. I, I think that part is true. 
to be honest with you. But what I'm thinking about in one of the cities that you air in, in uh, Memphis and in, in Tennessee. Oh, sure. The Now, I'm trying to remember the, the African-American man that was stopped by the police. Remember that? Oh. The headlines went everywhere and they beat him. They chased him and he ran. He yeah, got Tyree away. Nichols. Tyree Nichols. And he almost got to his house and he was crying for his mother and so on. That video That's was released. True. Yep. I, I don't remember. I could have. Yeah, the police department released that. Right, right. So it all depends on who the police chief is. Some of these situations, I agree with your point, but some of these situations, if you release the video, so I'm thinking about it will inflame the situation. I'm thinking about Eric Garner in New York, the young man that was selling Lucy's, mm-hmm. the cigarettes, and the uh, police put him in a chokehold and he died right there on the spot. We saw the video, but I don't recall off the top of my head. Who released that video? Yeah, I, I think in that instance, it was a passerby oh, was, that had a, a cell phone a, a, a video. A Latino young man. Right. Yes. Uh, uh, who then Garcia, subsequently got arrested. Who himself. subsequently yeah. got arrested. Right. He recorded it with his... Uh, with it, just like just like the uh, the big one, right, uh, George Floyd, right. That was done by uh, cell phone uh, but video. But as a general rule, you think the body camera footage? It, it every police department should be ha- have this kind of thing. Let's put it this way. If not for uh, if not for that video for that police cam video, the police officer that pulled over the new councilman that happens to be a member of the Central Park Five that happens to be a black elected official, if that body cam video did not exist, his career might be. I, over. I think that's a a great point. Hey, on a much lighter note, I've noticed you have uh, started adhering to the refrigerator policy of labeling <laughs> and dating your food and drink that you're keeping in there. What brought that on all of a sudden? Because one of two things happens around here: um, either someone eats your food, right? In the well, if it's not labeled, uh, it's not labeled. It's a or, jungle out or, there, or and it is a jungle. Or in my case, I'll go and I'm hungry, and it's early in the morning. Let you and I work, and uh, personnel threw it out because they they have a, a, a tight policy of what yeah, they'll keep it in the fridge for one week, right? And then it's out, and then and then it's out, and so and so. So this know, is so, to make sure your stuff doesn't get thrown right, away. So, or so, so I I have some yogurt in there with some um, with some blueberries, and and I have labeled it. Boy, you're, you're attentive. Well, I was looking for unlabeled food because I was kind of <laughs> hungry, which leads me to my last question, Dominic. Uh, seriously, there is a, a, someone sushi in there which is unlabeled. It looks like a couple of uh, of uh, I don't know some rolls, maybe right. a tuna roll, maybe right. a, a California roll of. Okay. Some chance, maybe a okay. kind of a, a a dumpling of some sort. At what? I think that's fair game at this point, right? It's not labeled. <laughs> what? Why shouldn't I pilfer that? So you're going to eat someone's food? No, the, the, I'm uh, going to eat unlabeled food <laughs> that's in the refrigerator, unless you give me a good reason not to. Um, well, it, it doesn't belong to us. Well, See, I, I have a great reason for yes. not eating it. Right. Because um, because half our staff has COVID, and who knows what they're breathing <laughs> well, on and coughing well, on? Well, that's one. But the second reason is that the, uh, the, the doctors, right, the endocrinologists, I think that's what they are. Dominic, you're diabetic. You cannot eat anything white and rice, uh, pasta, okay. sushi. I love sushi. Love sushi. Well, you got to do the sashimi. That's what I do. You get with, see, basically the same thing without the rice. So we'll go. We'll do. We'll do sashimi soon. You That'll know, but but once once I was in Japan, real story. Mm-hmm. And you know how we have hot dog stands across America. They you can buy eel at one of these in Japan at these hot dog stands. And I was with my boss, and he was trying to show me how cool he was. And he was <laughs> he was he was half uh, Asian American. He bit into it. 
and almost threw it right back up. Oh out. my! I was like, I was, he was like, he was like, you want to try some of this eel? And I'm like, no, I'm going right over there to Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, Dominic, thank you, my friend. We'll thank talk, you. talk tomorrow. It's always great. So now I know if my food ends up missing in the fridge. It means you forgot to put a label on it. That's what, exactly what that means. So we're talking about body camera footage. Maybe what we need is more uh, refrigerator camera footage so that there's yes. a record of this whole thing. So wait, but wait, Frank, I know, I know we've gone over our time. You really would eat something in the fridge that your name is not it one. It depends day? on my level of hunger, but I have to. <laughs> uh, here's why: because one, um, you know, in we talk about moral hazard, right? In economics, if or, or broken windows, if you allow violations of the rules, if you allow um, rule breaking to go unpunished and, in fact, rewarded, and allow these food scoff laws, these food label scoff laws, to keep their food in the refrigerator for weeks on end unlabeled <laughs> then they're going to keep doing it see i i had been eating what i think was elias's sandwiches and you know what he's done he has started labeling the sandwiches oh, so now i don't boy. eat it anymore oh, that's boy. the importance of the labeling system you I, learned your lesson your yogurt's labeled i, I would have never pegged you for a sandwich stealer well, I, only to enforce the station's policy of of do, labeling the food. Do you know what they're going to say about you online now? <laughs> do you have any idea? You're, you're Morano. No, uh, nothing haters, I haven't heard haters, before. What's yes. The, what's the. Uh, yeah, what's the if people want to participate, they can uh, just search on Facebook Morano Radio Fans and Haters. They're they're already, they're already I'm sure, go, tweeting up a storm. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. 800 848 9222. That's uh, 800 848 9222. We're going to talk a little bit about the post office in about 10 minutes with uh, Christopher Shaw, a guy that has looked at this six ways from Sunday. You know, I'm very passionate about the post office. I won a little bit of money on that um, cons- when uh, the, the Baltimore Ravens won the previous playoff game, and I used almost all of it. I used some of it to pay bills, and then I used the rest of it to buy postage stamps because it was the very last day before they were raising the price of the postage stamp from $0.66 cents to $0.68. Cents. And I'm wondering what's going on with the post office because it was very clear to see up until a few years ago that the problems with the post office, an agency which had never lost a dollar in the history of America just about, it was very clear to see what had caused the post office's problems. It was Congress. Congress created this crazy situation for the post office where they had to prepay the retirements of future employees for something like the next 20 to 30 years. Now, think about that. I'm not saying they had to pay for the retirements of existing retirees, how as how almost every government agency works. I'm not saying they had to uh, pay for the retirements of future retirees that are currently working. No, they had to prepay the retirements of workers that weren't even hired yet. So Congress put them in quite a jam. But has the post office failed to innovate? What could they be doing? One of the things I'd love to see them explore is the idea of postal savings accounts. Why isn't that done, as was the case in this uh, country until the 60s? Or 
Is the post office in an era of email, text messaging, fax machines, whatever else people use to communicate these days, online bill pay, is the post office just yesterday's news? Am I a dinosaur clinging to the last vestiges of postal nostalgia? We're going to get into it with Christopher Shaw in just a little bit. But I did want to mention... The situation involving Alyssa Milano. Hey, do you remember when we were talking about The Rock trying to raise money, and I think Oprah trying to raise money for a charity after, you know, in light of some disaster or another? I think it was the the Maui fires, now that I think about it. But there was a lot of criticism of both of them because they're both very wealthy, both The Rock and, uh, and uh, Oprah, both people who have plenty of money to donate, and here they are asking folks to donate to a charity. And a lot of people cynically would say, hey, you've got so much money, why don't you give some of your money to this particular cause? Well, now, the actress Alyssa Milano, who is probably best known for Who's the Boss, but, you know, other things as well. That's what I know her from, but she's done other movies and television programs. She is being similarly criticized for setting up a GoFundMe seeking donations for her son, her son's baseball trip after a backlash. I have to tell you, I think there's nothing wrong with this. I don't think there's anything wrong with someone who has money, someone who is famous in the case of Alyssa Milano or The Rock, trying to also raise money for a good cause, which in this case is a 12-year-old son's, her 12-year-old son's trip to Cooperstown. And she has gotten nothing but guff for this. She sets up the GoFundMe. She's not forcing anyone to donate. She basically says any amount would be greatly appreciated. You can read more about the team and make a donation. And this fundraiser is seeking $10,000. And all sorts of people on Twitter were calling out Alyssa Milano for not covering the trip herself. I think this is so lame, and I'll read you the criticism, and maybe you agree, but I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Imagine being so out of touch that you ask your followers to contribute money to your child's trip when you have a net worth of $10 million. This is gross. This is gross. Pay for it your own damn self. Another person. Alyssa Milano has actually set up the GoFundMe. It's under Alyssa Bugliari, her husband's surname, and the beneficiary is her husband. Two millionaires stay millionaires by asking plebes to fund their children. I have to tell you, I was so incensed by this. Not that I'm rooting for the wealthy and famous, and you know, I have no great love for Alyssa Milano. It's not like she I'm her biggest fan, but I think the whole idea that once you reach a certain level of financial wherewithal that you're supposed to no longer ask people to contribute to causes that they might care for. How about if you don't want to donate to Alyssa Milano's son's trip to the, you know, Cooperstown, then don't do it. I would venture to guess. I have no idea but I would venture to guess that Alyssa Milano and her husband donate substantial amounts of money to charity themselves. And I think this might be a way for the other parents 
of the other people on this team to contribute a couple of bucks. Sometimes people like doing that. Now, I don't have a net worth of $10 million. I raise money for stuff all the time. I raise money for the uh, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. I raise money for the National Psoriasis Foundation. I've raised money for, um, you know, research into EB. I've raised money for uh, uh, children's cancer charities. And I'm going to continue to do that if and when I am worth $10 million. And a day after her donation request, Alyssa Milano took to Twitter to share that she got a lot of media inquiries about whether she has financially contributed to her son's baseball team. And this is what she said, and I'm glad she responded. I've paid for uniforms for the entire team and coaches, thrown birthday parties, and sponsor any kid who can't afford monthly dues. The kids also do fundraising themselves, car washes, movie nights, and many other fun things. Thank you all for to all who have contributed to the GoFundMe. You've made things easier for these boys and their families. I think that's such a first of all, I think that's all true. And it's such a classy response. Who cares that she has money? You want to donate? Give 10 bucks. Give 20 bucks. A lot of ways, a lot of times people want to contribute. Otherwise, what do you need to criticize? It's not as if she's raising money to put it in her own pocket. She's raising money for her kid's baseball team. I mean, are we really saying that once you become famous, once you become wealthy, you're no longer allowed to do the things that the normal parent of a 12-year-old does? I'll tell you what, if she wasn't an actress, if she was some multimillionaire Wall Street person whose name you didn't know and she did the same thing, nobody would know. Nobody would know if, uh, but because she's a household name and we live in this culture where we think it's okay to bash people and attack people just because they're famous, then that's what she's on the receiving end of. And I think that is a real shame, honestly, a real shame. 800-848-9222, We're going to talk uh, the post office with uh, Christopher Shaw in just a bit. And um, we'll get into a wide variety of subjects throughout the course of the day. Some fun, some serious, some not so serious. We will take you, we'll read through your mail. If you're somebody that prefers the written word to the spoken word, you can email me and uh, we will read as many of your emails as possible next hour. You can email me at frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's redappleaudionetworks.com, plural. Frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. Ray is in New Jersey. Ray, tell me what you think about this Alyssa Milano thing. Well, I think the difference of the, the criticism is uh, is a little difference between a disaster in Hawaii and her son's field trip. You know, it looks like she's just being a little selfish, trying to raise money for her son when, you know, Oprah and The Rock were raising money for a total disaster. You know, this is just her son's field trip. Well, That's all I got to say. So you think the criticism is deserved? Well, not really, but there's I I see the difference though. Gotcha. You know, well, you're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, the only you comparison know? is that they were both bashed for raising money, even though they have a lot of money. It's a fair point, though. There is a big difference between the Lahaina wildfire disaster and uh, and this situation, a, a team trip. That's true. Bobby's in Jersey City. What do you think? Thanks for taking the call, Frank. Frank, we went up uh, the year before COVID hit. We got lucky, so we we did the trip. Frank, we we raised our own money. We had fundraisers. My local diner uh, 
guy, let us uh, do a can drive, you know, for change before people came in and out of the diner. He was great about that. But I, I do think it's kind of lame that she went out and asked the public for money when she's rich, Frank. And people don't have money, you know. And, and I think she should have put put a lot of money herself into the into the call into the trip. That's what, thank what, you, Frank. All right. Well, thanks, Bobby. Um, I, I I would have said it, Bobby. What about all of the expenses that she is paying for? The uniforms, the birthday party, sponsoring kids that can't afford it. I mean, look, I'm not going to be uh, passing out a tin cup for Alyssa Milano anytime soon. It seems like she's doing just fine. But to my broader point, if she had been a Wall Street millionaire or married to a Wall Street millionaire, most of those are folks whose names you don't know and will never know. And she had done the same thing. People wouldn't have taken issue with this. You know, you don't know my financial situation. I mean, you probably have a pretty good idea because I tell you when I'm negative $38 in my uh, checking account. But someone text messaged me the other day. Same thing. So a, a person that works here, they said, oh, my nephew or my cousin, I don't remember what it was. They're trying to, it's a great group of kids. They're trying to raise money for a trip to Cooperstown. You have a large following on social media. Can you share this? And I shared it. I was happy to share it. But if I had a lot of money, should I not have shared it? I think it's ridiculous, honestly. Ridiculous. All right. Um, I also think it's ridiculous that I'm now paying 68 cents for a postage stamp. We're going to get that into that with Christopher Shaw in just a minute. But first, we have a first-timer, Bobby from Orlando. Hello, Bobby. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm glad to uh, talk to you. I enjoy your program. You make me think, <laughs> and you make me actually, uh, you know, uh, you make me laugh, and you actually really make me feel better because I'm a person that just retired from radio business myself, and um, so I'm up because oh, these are the hours I used to work. I love. So, what you do in the radio business, Bobby? Well, I I, I was music. You know, we we did uh, we did. Uh, I don't want to say elevator okay. music. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I hey, I, nothing wrong with elevator music. That that beats us like in the radio. It was like sometime. a kind of like a soft, like Billy Joel, you know, stuff like that. You know, a Barbara Streisand. So you, know, you were like you that. were a DJ. You were a DJ. Yes, oh, correct, cool. correct, 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 correct. Well, correct. I. I appreciate the feedback. Go ahead. Well, well, I want to say, you know, it's it's funny because I grew up in Brooklyn, Bay Ridge. So shout out to Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I grew up in Bay Ridge, and I, you know, listen. We used to listen to, you know, Cousin Bruce, you know, back then when I was growing up. And I that was how I got into it because you guys, WABC was like a big, big thing for me. And when I left, I didn't hear you guys for like 30 years because I moved to Orlando. And now I got all this high-tech equipment, Alexa, the speaker, you know, all that, the the iPhone. So now I can hear all you guys out. So I want to thank you. And I want to thank you, Frank, because you make us think. Well, that's awfully nice of you. No, but a lot of people nowadays in this world, we don't think. We don't use our heads because our heads are in our phones. Well, (laughs) Bobby, I agree with you and thank you. Don't tell too many people that this show is making you think because then people won't want to listen to it. Okay, Bobby? Hey, thanks for the call. Call again, Okay. okay, brother? Well, listen. Frank, listen, I promise I won't say anything, but I, I, I know that your show's got to be number one in the overnight shift. So I want to thank you for letting me stay up at night and listening to you. And you always bring an interesting uh, conversation to the program. So thank you for your time and your patience working with WABC. Thank you, Bobby. And a lot of the other great stations we're on across the country. Uh, don't want to give short shrift to any of the other stations as well. I would send Bobby a thank you note, but I can no longer afford the postage stamp. 68 cents. Are you kidding? Kidding me? We'll get into it with Christopher Shaw straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Bruno. He's your numero uno. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. A uh, birthday bumper music selection from Jason Levy, one of our great listeners. Happy birthday, Jason Levy. I love the post office. I love uh, the men and women that work in the post office. I love getting letters. I love sending letters. A good portion of my Saturday is spent writing out letters of various types. And going to the post office, affixing an old-fashioned postage stamp to them, and putting in the mail. A lot of you have probably gotten letters from me. I love the whole process. And I have always been so impressed with the post office because no matter what's going on in the country, the post office is there. And it's always been a pretty remarkable thing to me that for a relatively insignificant amount of money, really for most of my lifetime, pennies, you could send a letter anywhere in the country and have it get there in a day or two. And maybe that's a lot less remarkable in an era of email and text messaging and WhatsApp messaging and 9,000 different social media platforms. I still think there's something pretty appealing about an old-fashioned letter. And the men and women of the post office who came to work every day During the COVID pandemic, when wide swaths of the workforce were all not only permitted, but forced to work from home, and the men and women of the post office literally put their lives on the line, many of whom got sick, many of whom died during the pandemic, performing us a public service, I have an immense amount of admiration for them. 
And I've really been frustrated at the public perception of the post office and the men and women that work there as people that uh, are ready to shoot up a place with an Uzi, as people that are unreliable. That's not my experience at all, and uh, I really think we could do with a lot more gratitude, particularly when it's my contention, and we're going to find out from someone who's much more studied on this than I am, that the real problem for the post office was not anything to do with their work performance. It was Congress. Congress really started so many of the problems the Postal uh, Office and the Postal Service is trying to dig out from now. Somebody who has uh, studied these issues, written on them, explored them for many years is Christopher Shaw. He's a historian, a policy analyst, and an author whose books include First Class, The U.S. Postal Service, Democracy, and the Corporate Threat. Christopher, thanks so much for staying up late with us on the radio. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. So uh, it's now 68 cents for a forever stamp of the uh, first class variety. Is this a uh, I complained about this and some listeners pointed out that it's still comparatively much less than what other countries are charging for postage. Is this a great ripoff or a great bargain, Christopher? Well, I think it's still a, a great bargain, and it's true. Internationally speaking, it's still pretty good value for your money. But it's also true that when you start going back in history and you look at how much postage has cost and you adjust it for inflation, we're starting to, to edge up a little bit. And uh, I don't know if we quite hit a new high, but we're definitely higher than we have been in the past with that 68 cent uh, increase uh, that just recently uh, went into effect. I alluded to my perception about the root of the post office's financial problems and that Congress has uh, something to do with this, namely the formula that um, that Congress uh, forced on the Postal Service for prepaying the retirements of future workers. A- am I accurate as far as you're concerned? And can you give folks a little bit of the history as to what Congress did to the post office? Well, so that was a huge millstone around the neck of the Postal Service for, for years until it was finally Congress finally removed it um, just last year. But uh, it dates back to 2006 when Congress passed a law that required the post office to prepay the health benefits of its future retirees, some of whom at that point may not have even been born yet. Um, well into the future, no other government agency required to do this, no private corporation attempts to do this. And uh, it really created a major burden, a major financial burden on the on the post office. And it was there for, you know, well over a decade uh, until it was finally and quite rightly removed. Congress finally took action and, and rectified that that situation. So now the problems that the post office have been experiencing, a lot of folks point to many different factors. One of the ones that frequently gets mentioned in all the articles about the postage price hikes is COVID. Uh, what did COVID do to the post office? Well, COVID, on the one hand, because people were at home trying to isolate from the virus, it meant you were shipping more things. So that really increased uh, the number of packages that the post office was delivering, and so that led to more revenue. But on the other hand, it meant people are you know, going out less, they're going to the post office less, they are mailing less letters, um, and so it really did have a, an impact in, in that way at, at the same time. Um, so it also just kind of 
discombobulated everything and uh, gave rise to the inflationary period we're going through right now, which is uh, discombobulated the economy. And so it's it's made things sort of more bumpy and harder to predict and, and more unstable. So I did a video the, uh, the day before the post office raised the prices of the postage stamp. And a lot of people commented on the video essentially saying that uh, not only am I a dinosaur, but that the post office is a dinosaur, that they've failed to adapt to how people communicate in the 21st century. Most people aren't sitting home um, writing out checks and paying their bills by mail. They're doing it with things like online bill pay. Most people aren't getting um, their magazine subscriptions in the mail. They're going online and reading the subscription, the digital subscription to whatever it is they want to read. How do you react to that, Christopher? Is the post office a dinosaur? I don't think so. And here's why, because it's been an integral part of our country for over two centuries from the very beginning. And it's constantly been able to adapt when it's been allowed to adapt. So, for instance, the post office didn't used to deliver packages. And then you got the big mail order catalog houses, the Montgomery Wars, the Sears, like that. And, and so the post office responded to that and began delivering packages in the early 20th century. And, you know, you just go back 20 years ago, people were thinking that, well, you know, people aren't mailing as many letters and stuff. But then you get the e-commerce boom, people shopping online and shipping things. And the post office has stepped up and been delivering more and more packages. So people have always been saying this with the telegraph. They said that's the end of the post office. Well, you can't even send a telegram anymore. Western Union discontinued that service a, a little while ago now. Um, you know, with a the telephone, they said that's the end of the post office. So I think it, when the post office is allowed to adapt and be creative, it has continually reinvented itself and remained a central part of American society. Well, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Christopher Shaw. His book is First Class, The U.S. Postal Service, Democracy and the Corporate Threat. We're going to get into what that corporate threat is in just a moment. One of the things that we hear about from time to time, Christopher, is that maybe it would be prudent for the post office to simply end Saturday mail service. It's a good way for them to save a couple of bucks. And uh, may, m- most people aren't relying on that Saturday mail delivery. How would you react to a proposal of that nature, Christopher? Yeah, about uh, 10 years ago or so, there was a big push that the Postmaster General at the time made to to do that and make that happen. And the argument being, okay, you know, we cut back on our expenses for one of uh, six days out of the week. But then what happened is with this new shopping uh, culture that we have going on, the new shipping uh, way of life that we're leading these days where people, they want things delivered and they want them delivered. They don't just want them delivered six days a week now. Now they want them delivered seven days a week. And so actually the post office delivering six days a week became uh, an advantage. And so I think that um, at this point in time, because people want things, you know, people want it tomorrow, right? They want it right away. They want things delivered uh, quickly and that's their expectation. I think that actually having the Six-day delivery is a big advantage for the for the post office, um, given the way things have, have evolved up to this point. All right. You have a lot of suggestions on how the post office could continue to adapt, things they could be doing that they aren't. Give us a couple. What should the post office do in terms of innovation, in terms of adapting to a 21st century economy that they haven't necessarily been willing to do? Well, I think one thing about the post office is just remarkable. There's over 30,000 of them across the country, you know, in the big cities and little small towns and, you know, your neighborhood, my neighborhood, everywhere. And that could really become a portal to government services across the board, whether it be federal, state, 
local government. You want to get a bus pass. You want to get a hunting license. You know, you have a question about Social Security. Uh, there's a ways that we could integrate that into the post office to make it a place where you could go as a one-stop, uh, you know, to get access to all those government services. Another thing that I've been talking about for, for a long time is to get the post office back in the banking business again. And so people have forgotten this, but for most of the 20th century, there was a savings bank at the post office. And with bank branches being shut down and with a lot of customers out there that the banks don't see them as profitable, they don't really want to serve them, that's a real opening. There's a need there, um, and there's a market failure there for uh, the post office to come and get back into uh, banking again. And it would save a lot of people who don't have a lot of money on a lot of fees and, and other ways that they're, you know, they're, instead of going to the bank, they're going to uh, check cashing outlets and places like that. We'll get the post office back into, into banking again, just like it did for most of the 20th century. I think that that would be a, an excellent uh, place for the post office to be. And also, this is something that postal systems in other countries, uh, most of them are already mm. doing this. Well, to me, it makes all the sense in the world. And I've followed this for a long time, including your work, and I'm all for this. But just so folks understand, it's clear how allowing the Postal Service to offer uh, postal savings accounts would do well for the unbanked or people that don't want to get nickel and dimed from, you know, major, major banks. But explain to folks how the post office itself would make money with that. Well, I think the thing about it is, is that the post office wouldn't be operating like a typical bank. So it wouldn't be looking at trying to maximize its profit. What it would be looking to do is to provide a service that it costs would be covered for the service, but the main thing would be to provide the service. That would have to be the, the way that it would be set up. And, it, you know, again, the post office did this before, and it, and it could do it again. But it would be run different from a normal bank that's looking to squeeze every you know nickel and dime out of its customers. That wouldn't be the way that this bank would operate. Hey, your book is subtitled The U.S. Postal Service, Democracy, and the Corporate Threat. What is the corporate threat as it relates to mail delivery? Well, the, the purpose of the post office, as I see it, and this dates back to the founding, dates back to George Washington, is to bind the nation together. And so it's always existed to create national unity and to promote democracy. And the corporate threat is the idea that we're just going to be operating like a business instead of like a public service. And also that any entity that something can be subcontracted out to, we're going to subcontract it out so that they can make a profit. And when you do that, it fractures the system and it ceases to operate as that public service that has been integral to national unity and democracy in this country right from the founding. There was a column in The Hill, I'm sure that you saw it, uh, very critical of not only you but others, I guess including me, uh, headline, Side Hustles Won't Save the U.S. Postal Service. It was by uh, Kevin Kosar, who is uh, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And essentially what he says is that your proposals and the proposals to have the post office do other things are not only unwise, but they're contrary to the law, which limits the Postal Service to simply providing postal services, and those are very closely related, like, you know, selling greeting cards. What do you make of that, um, that column and that criticism, Christopher? Well, I think, it, to me, it reflects a lack of imagination, because the thing is, the post office wasn't allowed to deliver packages until 1913. 
when people have the imagination to say, you know what, we're tired of getting ripped off by right. these private shipping companies. We want the post office to do it. And the post office did it and did it in a much better fashion that consumers were much happier with. Same thing with banking. The banks didn't want the post office to offer the banking services that it offered for most of the 20th century. And people had the imagination to allow it to do that. So the real question here is, what do we want to do with this amazing institution that's been part of our country for over 200 years? What imagination do we have for it? Do we have the same kind of imagination that generations before us did? And then from that starting point, let's you know explore the options and see what we can make happen. The one of the things that the post office still doesn't do, unless I'm mistaken, is I don't think they allow you to ship alcohol. Is that a way that they would be able to be more competitive with uh, UPS and FedEx and offer services that other private shipping companies are able to do? Absolutely. I mean, this is something that the post office, if these other shipping companies can do it, why can't the post office? Well, the post office can't do it because there's lobbying that prevents it from offering these kinds of services. And there's a continual lobbying to try to narrow uh, what the postal system can do for the American people. And my position is that we should be thinking about the possibility of what the postal system can do for the American people not how can we get it to do less. So the um, folks that are that are leading the lobbying efforts against allowing the Postal Service to do other things, those are the companies that are currently making money doing those other things, whether it's banks, whether it's private shipping uh, organizations like FedEx, or whether it's anybody else that are is currently providing the services you're talking about. That's absolutely right. And I mean, in the case of, of FedEx and UPS, for decades, they've been constantly lobbying against any attempts for the post office to to serve the American people better, to to offer more. Um, This has been a top agenda item for them, and they are one of the major lobbying forces on Congress. They spent millions and millions of dollars lobbying in Congress for many, many years, and they don't want the Postal Service to be able to become all that it can be. Christopher Shaw, I appreciate the time this morning. I hope we could talk again. Best of luck with your efforts. Thank you, and I appreciate your support of the post office, and it's good talking to you. Thanks what, for having me on. Hey, likewise, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Seems like yesterday, but it was long ago. Jane, it was lovely, she was a queen of my night. There in the darkness with the radio. Six minutes until the top of the hour. Just got the word from my wife that my son is currently awake. 
and um, apparently he was coughing, and you know he was not having a good time. He's not asleep, which is a shame, and that means that is going to be a rough day for everybody in the Morano household today. Um, me, him. My wife, everybody. So that's going to be um, quite a challenge. Hey, this was an interesting story. Do you know who Tom Hollander is? Don't feel bad if you don't, because I probably would have needed a refresher as well. Uh, Tom Hollander is an actor, and, you know, he is pretty well known. He's a 56-year-old star of The White Lotus. Well, he received by mistake, a seven-figure bonus, meaning over a million dollars, for the 27-year-old Avengers star Tom Holland due to a mix-up in their similar names. So Tom Hollander, the actor, received a check of seven figures meant for Tom Holland. So there you have it. Um... I think it's all straightened up, straightened out. Uh, Hollander thought, opened the mail, saw this seven-figure check, and said, I don't think I'm in the Avengers. And it was his first box office bonus. Not the whole box office bonus, just the first one. So there's that. You know, it's funny. I met a fellow, a friend of my friend Kyle O'Brien, named Jeff Greenfield. And at one point, he was working for the same company that the TV commentator Jeff Greenfield worked for. And he got... His check by by accident one time, and my friend Dennis uh, Dennis Petoff was in the movie King Kong. You can't even really see him. He rides a motorcycle in one scene, but uh, he was really kind of just a, a background stunt guy. But he had a great experience. Got to become friends with uh, Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange, and he they mistakenly sent him a check. During that movie, but I don't think that was due to a confusion over the name. I think they just mistakenly sent him a check. And he sent it back. He's such an honest guy. He sent it back. He did what Tom Hollander would do. Because you know, you got to send it back. Because you know if uh, you try and keep that money, they're going to get it out of you one way or another. It just That's the way it is. You can't do the old, oh, I thought it was for me routine. No, you know you weren't in the Avengers. Okay. 800-848-9222, Let me say hello to you, Pete. Pete, did I hear you were having some health issues? Uh, yes, Frank, but I didn't call about that. All right. Well, good luck. We were, we're wishing you the I've best. Been in, they amputated my couple of toes, and I'm on antibiotics, and what was going to be a five- to six-week stay is going to be down. I will be released next Tuesday. Wonderful. So well, I had a miracle, the power of prayer from WABC. I thank everybody on the Rita Cosby Show and yours. But what I'm calling about is Marissa Morano, who I know personally. Yeah. She's contracted to a movie that I'm associated. Uh, but the thing that I want to say is, you know, listen, if people don't like her doing a GoFundMe, then don't donate any money. You're a guy that's collected charities, which I donated modest money to in the past. I'm not a wealthy man, but I do what I can because you got to give something back to society. But I feel that anybody that don't like that she's collected meta, uh, money, uh, that's, don't donate to her. The Rock is doing something for where we come from Hawaii. I give them respect and Oprah and all these people and you especially who raise money for uh, the uh, uh, Towers to Tunnel and the uh, uh, 
psoriasis foundation, you're a great person. And uh, like I said, listen, people differ with me. People won't. But uh, this is my feeling on it. If you don't like the uh, uh, contribution, then don't give exactly. them money. Exactly. Simple That's as that, it. Pete. Thank you. Appreciate the call and the comment. Continued good health. All right. Next hour, we're going to go through your mail, meaning the mail you send to me. If you want to email me, I'll read it on air. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. Also discuss all these people that seem itching to go to war with Iran. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cats paid or neutered. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all-natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.